Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol broadband podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to plant a flag in the larger industry of telecom, of broadband solutions, and really move the conversation forward on how to advance our industry and the technologies that support it. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new episodes of Wavelengths. So let's jump in, folks. On today's episode of the show, we're going to hopefully lay down another plank for bridging rural America's digital divide. Uh, Federal funding for broadband infrastructure initiatives over the last year or two has really skyrocketed and has opened up a lot of opportunities and getting, um, you know, has gotten, excuse me, the industry very excited. Uh, One of those is the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but another one, and the one we're going to be focusing in on today, is RDOF, which already went through its first round of funding and is reworking its rules before starting its second round. So today we're going to be focusing in on one of the key challenges that's holding back RDOF funds from being put to best use because there is all this excitement. What is that barrier? Well, a big one is a disjointed and incomplete reporting system of what rural or underserved areas are actually serviced. So it seems rather straightforward, but when this reporting system is inaccurate and incomplete, it can turn into a a very well-documented issue that folks are seeing across the industry of entire census blocks being marked as serviced when in reality... Maybe as few as only one address within the block is actually wired for the standard of broadband that's expected out of this funding initiative. So naturally, for the RDOF funds to have a positive and effective impact for uh, bridging, excuse me, the rural digital divide, identifying in need areas and effectively servicing them is critical. It's key. So some organizations have already been putting in the legwork to help solve this reporting challenge. And today we're going to be sitting down with a guest whose work in the state of Georgia on the matter is actually setting a nationwide standard as RDOF decision makers debate and finalize uh, how to push through for this next payment round. So I'd like to introduce our guest to uh, get the conversation going. For perspectives, we're joined today by Mr. Bill Price. He's vice president of government solutions for Lightbox, a company that's providing single platform solutions for commercial, geographical, spatial, and environmental building data analysis and action. Bill Price, great to have you on, man. How are you doing today? Thanks, Daniel. I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah, real pleasure getting to source your insights. You know, we do a lot of um, uh, content on this topic naturally, and I personally do editorial content on this topic as well. So I'm glad that we're moving the needle. This is a really important conversation because. Uh, Folks want that money, and there are uh, you know a few hiccups that are holding up round two, this being one of the major ones. So hopefully this uh, helps clarify what the next steps should be for the industry to make those funds available. Um, so in my intro, I gave a high-level summary of this reporting issue that's plaguing RDOF. Let's get a little more granular, though. How early was this issue with RDOF effectiveness even identified, right? Give us a timeline of when it was noticed and, uh, you know, what impact that's had on distributing funds. Well, you know, federal and state people and ISPs, you know, internet service providers, we all understood, um, you know, 
10 years ago um, that we didn't have the most accurate kind of data for mapping, broadband mapping, availability, and as you say, you call it reporting. Um, we think of it, you know, those of us in the industry, and we think of it as mapping, but reporting works for me too. Um, but we've known for a long time that we didn't have the best, most accurate data to make funding decisions with. Um, and, you know, prior to COVID, there wasn't that much money in play um, compared to what we're looking at now. We're, now we're looking at, you know, upwards of $200 billion in play between COVID funding and ARPA funding and IIJA funding and RDOF round one and round two and Connect America. So we've gone from a small, moderate amount of money to a significant larger than anybody in their lifetime has seen become available to invest in expanding broadband infrastructure, right? So that's put a great deal of emphasis on the need and the desire to obtain more accurate information to guide and direct and not waste the funds. I mean, we and I mean, when I was in government, we, you know, if you don't have the great data, I mean, you're doing the best you can. And it involves sometimes it involves educated guesswork or macro level data. And that's what you've got to work with. And so that's what everybody works with. And that's what we did. And that's what RDOF round one did is it relied on that. And are there inherent risks, increased risks of success and achieving outcomes that were hoped for? Yes. Right. Uh, the less the less quality the data, the less accurate the data, the the more chances there are of not achieving those 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 goals. Um, now, round two of RDOF is supposed to rely on a new set of more accurate location data, availability, broadband availability data that the SEC is supposed to produce now that they've been given the green light and they have the funds to go pay to get it done. So we're all everybody is waiting to see how well they do, right? Um, and hopefully it'll be a lot more accurate than what they have done, right? <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's it, it's been a big problem. And a lot of states uh, have been looking at, well, what should they do? And if they decide, well, we should do something, then how do we go about it? And some of them are doing procurement. Some of them have, like Georgia, built theirs early on back and we started in 2018 in Georgia on our project. Um, at Lightbox, we're currently, we've launched the state of Montana location level broadband map and several states, Texas, Colorado, Oklahoma, Massachusetts are doing procurements to do the same. A couple, uh, state of New York is trying to get theirs down to an address level. Uh, Virginia is going to try and do it themselves. Um, we're waiting to see what Pennsylvania decides to do. Um, and there's a bunch, but most of the states I think are, are, you know, still thinking through a lot of them have to wait until their legislative sessions occur to give them direction and authority on whether they should do it themselves or not. <clears throat> um, and as you know, the IIJA money is dependent on the FCC results. And there is a process where states can do their own and challenge the FCC results. So there's a lot in play that is going to affect where the money goes. So if we hone in on this misrepresentation of reported areas, right, this issue where we get an area marked as serviced when in reality it hasn't really met the standard of bridging rural America's digital divide, what would you say is the net impact of said misrepresentation, right? How does it impact the efficacy as well as the future of RDOF and uh, how people strategize with using that money? Well, you know, the, the one served, all served by census block approach, of course, everyone recognizes that's not very accurate. 
And in Ardolf one, uh, the way they did it was you had to bid on census block groups. And so you were basically taking a risk. Um, you know, if you bid on that group that the number of locations and where they are, uh, you, you better have good data as an ISP bidder on where the locations are because you weren't getting them from the FCC. And you were basically calculating your risk to accept the award terms which meant that you have to, with the money you get, you have to serve all the locations, 100% of them, in the census block group you bid on, not really getting from the SEC how many there are or where they are, right? So some of the big providers, I know AT&T, for example, didn't participate in RDOF round one because of that risk, because they have to be willing to serve 100% of the locations going forward in time over the period of the RDOF program. So there's going to be growth in some of them and there'll be added locations. And then you're you're basically guessing, you know, unless you've got great data yourself about those areas as to how much it's really going to cost you to serve all 100 percent. Right. So so the, the major impact was some of the biggest players in the industry didn't participate. In round in round one. Right. Because the actual cost of participating was vague and undefined. C- correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, the, the last thing from an investor's perspective, right, and broadband infrastructure isn't a big capital investment, the last, the, the more risk there is, the less likely you're willing to put your money in, right? Very true. Yeah, that is a, a consistent motivating factor, and I, I guess I don't blame them, honestly, for not participating. Uh, and, you know, it could have the unintended consequences, too, of RDOF and, you know, the... Um, the federal arm that is putting these funds forward to say, well, you know, if, if even AT&T isn't taking advantage of this, what are we doing with this money? Right. And no one wants that too, because this is a very serious um, initiative and goal that, you know, I, I think the larger nation should rally behind. So good point there. I'm curious then what are the key reasons that this census block misreporting even persists today? If the key players understand that it's untenable and, counterintuitive to the the whole mission of RDOF? Is it just a lack of quality tools? Is it, you know, I don't know, um, does it have something to do with a more fundamental issue within how RDOF is being ran? I mean, how should the industry basically be analyzing this issue? What are the reasons it persists? Well, you know, since, since passage of the Broadband Data Improvement Act, um, which I think was a year or two ago, um, the president signed it into law that directed the FCC to get away from the census block level and go to the address level. Right. Um, and so they are now enabled with funding and law to go change the way they've been doing it. So it's really not so much a why did it occur anymore. It's getting it done and getting it done well so that people have confidence in the results to make the investment, right? Whether you're, the federal government making the investment, the state government making the investment, or the ISPs who have to come up with their own portion of the total cost, right? So, you know, why we got there? Well, you know, mapping was really not um, front and center from a policymaking perspective and in, in, at the nation's capital uh, initially years ago when the initial broadband mapping transitioned from NTIA over to the FCC. But since then, you know, there's been an increasing outcry about the impact, the negative impact of the inaccuracy of census block level reporting, right? Which is why states like Georgia took it into their own hands and said, well, if we're going to invest 
20 million or 30 million, this isn't good enough for us, right? <clears throat> and other states have been thinking through it. And a lot of a lot of constituents were complaining to Congress. And I guess when people started seeing that the government was going to make hundreds of billions of dollars available to invest in broadband, then everybody got really concerned about the accuracy of the data. And I can tell you that prior to COVID and all this new money, uh, the providers were willing to work with us in the state of Georgia and contribute their data as long as we protected, protected it from public view. Um, they had hesitancy and they had concerns. Um, and they, there were a lot of things they didn't want us to do with the data once they gave it to us. Um, but once all this money became available, that changed the attitudes of the ISPs 100%. That, then they're fearful that government will um, inaccurately deploy those funds for competitors to overbuild where they already had investment. So their motivation changed overnight um, to help government get the, the location level data accuracy uh, and availability correct. So it's, it's a whole different ballgame now which is good. Yeah. And we'll get to some of the work that you did in Georgia to help set a standard for how RDOF can adjust its uh, mapping capacity and reporting. Before I jump into that, though, let's just paint a high level solution here. What really needs to be solved specifically and granularly before we can move into round two of fund distribution? And based on what you've heard, how is RDOF currently approaching that solution? for better or for worse, right? Just give us an analysis of the current state of it all. Well, I mean, you've got to have a location database of all residential and commercial locations uh, that's as accurate as can be made, you know, with technology and data that's available, right? And, you know, I mean, that's the core business of Lightbox for many industries is location intelligence about uh, the buildings, you know, whether it's commercial or residential, whether it's a single structure or multiple structures on a piece of property, where it is on the property, you know, and that's really important when you get into rural areas where the properties can be quite large, right? <clears throat> Not so much that critical in downtown areas where the properties are really small, but the accuracy of the results uh, that you depend on to make the investment decisions depends on the accuracy of the location data, people are calling it the fabric, right, of buildings that would want broadband service. So that means you've got to filter out things like silos and sheds and barns and outbuildings, you know, buildings that would never order broadband to start with. Right. So that accuracy and completeness is critical to getting it all right. And the number of them, where they are, that's all very crucial. Right. And so that's what we focus on for our industry customers, our state, you know, customers, et cetera. <clears throat> and as my understanding is RDOF phase two is according to what I saw the FCC say, they're going to wait on the FCC more accurate results to come out, right? So assuming they come out with, you know, decent results and it's highly accurate, then they'll do a much better job. And so more companies like AT&T and others might be more willing to participate and bid on RDOF phase two. Does that answer your question? I'm not sure I did. Oh, no. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. Because the the net solution or you know what what the larger initiative should be striving for is more companies especially those big players with the resources to um you know achieve mass rural broadband deployments to take advantage of these funds and so 
Good point. As soon as we see people taking advantage of those funds, we'll know solution achieved. So I want to highlight some of the work that you have specifically, you and your teams, done to set a solution standard for this issue. So uh, like you were kind of alluding to, you've honed in your solutions to focus on better mapping and better reporting uh, within a larger tool that emphasizes accuracy and granularity of serviced census blocks, an important component that defines the entire scope of where to even bid on projects and deploy them. So before your time at Lightbox, you were with the Georgia Technology Authority, GTA, where you led the development and implementation of the most granular state-level broadband map in the country which is pretty incredible. What was the context of your work at GTA and kind of what motivated y'all to start this project in the first place? Well, you know, the citizens of Georgia have complained to their elected officials about not getting broadband for, you know, a decade, right? And eventually they didn't go away, right? <laughs> and eventually their representatives uh, took it to heart uh, and the leadership of the state uh, submitted legislation that said, we're going to do several things. And we're going to set up a grant program and we're going to make grant awards and we're going to start solving the problem. But before we do that, um, we're going to do a map. We're going to do our own data and it's going to be accurate to each and every location, about 5.2 million of them, as it turns out, in the state of Georgia. Right. And if you look at a contrast of the census block view versus the location view, it is glaringly different. Right. <clears throat> so they asked us, could we do it? And we said yes. <laughs> and we started out trying to build a location database on our own, uh, going to 159 counties and 567 cities to pull all the puzzle pieces together. And we had to go back and tell them, well, this is going to take at least two years, maybe more, and we're not sure we can get there anyway. And they said, well, you've got to complete this in a year. So what can you do? We said, well, we can go to the commercial market and we can evaluate um, different vendors who provide location data, which we did. Um, and we, we've settled on contracting with Lightbox, right? Which is how I got to know them and they got to know us and what we were doing. And so we sourced their data to start off to, you know, the, start off the database of locations. And then we, you know, reached out and recruited our ISPs, 44 of them in the state of Georgia. Uh, and we started building the database of served and unserved, you know, locations. And then we visualized it in maps, right? <clears throat> Ultimately, that information, that data was crucial to a recent um, grant effort. The governor put $278 million up for grant applications, and they got 160 applications for $3.5 billion. And all that accurate data was crucial to the state evaluators uh, in evaluating the applications, right? And they actually, they actually wound up awarding 400 million instead of 278. So that's a, you figured that's probably about an $800 million investment when you combine the state money with the applicants money, right? Which was mostly um, internet service providers, you know, made up of uh, uh, telecom companies like Windstream, uh, cable companies, charter, um, electric co-ops, right? And there were a couple of cities uh, that run broadband networks that participated and got awarded. Um, so this data was used in developing the grant applications themselves so that they were more accurate, right? This data was used by the evaluation team to score and rank the, you know, the applications, right? And then the data itself will be used to track the results of the progress, right? 
So, you know, anyway, we, we went after it. Uh, we pulled it off. We shared all our results with the FCC Wireline Competition Bureau. And we were hoping that if they ever tried to do something at a national level, it would be similar to our approach. And we were very happy when the Broadband Data Act was passed. And basically, it wrote out the framework and the process very much the same as ours. So that meant that all our work, you know, was not for naught, right? It would align with whatever the federal government did later, right? So that was great uh, because it wasn't hugely different, right? Um, Right now, there are two states, to my knowledge, that have address level mapping completed and in production, and that's Georgia and the state of Montana, which we just launched about two weeks ago. Um, Like I said, there are other states that are headed in that direction through procurements or their own efforts. And so I would expect to see more. Right. And of course, the federal government is planning on doing it themselves. And we'll probably see their first results the first part of next year. Right. Yeah. I mean, even with, um, you know, only two states having this kind of upgraded mapping capacity, that's still such a great step forward. I mean, compared to not having it at all. So, you know, I'll, I'll applaud your work there. Um, I'm also wanting to offer our audience some technical strategy here. So could you uh, peek under the hood a bit for our audience and walk us through the technical approach to developing a more accurate and granular mapping platform to assist in achieving this more complete census block serving data? What did that look like? What were some of the decisions y'all made? Well, you know, the, the location data, right, which internet service providers um, who build the networks, who invest their money, right, the most ac- you know, accurate location data and information about the properties is crucial to them knowing where to build and how many they're going to have to serve and what their costs are. I mean, to design a network, to create a bill of materials, to put that in a business case, to calculate the ROI, the more accurate your location database is, the better, right? They all do it today, right? I was talking to one big multi-state provider and I asked them, so how do you, they build their own, you know, location information. I said, well, they source pieces and parts from eight companies to put it together, right? So, you know, what we've done for the states and what we're now talking to the ISPs is that we've put all the puzzle pieces together. So now you have a complete picture, right? And so the question for all of them becomes, you know, is it worth, you know, spending the money with a commercial provider like us or should we keep, you know, building our own, you know, um, database of locations from the sources that we use today, right? I mean, that's fundamental to the entire business process, right? If you were going to build a highway, uh, you know, across a county, right? You'd want the most accurate information about all the land, right? To plot your course and figure out what your cost is going to be. So we all we all face the same issue here. Um, and so you have address information. Now, address information. So we talk about the puzzle and the puzzle pieces, right? You want to get down into the weeds, right? All right. Yes, yes, here, ab- absolutely. Here we go then. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare so, yourself, team. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, city governments are responsible for address space, right? They assign address space. Developer is going to develop a piece of property and I'm going to create, you know, 30 housing units and I need addresses. Well, where do they go? They go to the city government, right? So that's one puzzle piece, you know, street, street addresses, right? <laughs> and then you have then you have property appraisers. Every county's got a property appraiser, a tax assessor, whatever. And those guys are supposed to be, you know, managing and gathering information about all the parcels, what it's zoned for, 
you know, are there structures on it or not? Um, if there are structures, then what are they and what are they used for? How big are they? You know, then you get into property evaluation and tax, you know, tax appraisal and all that. So that's a huge puzzle piece as well, right? And then you have on every piece of property, the ones with structures, right? Then you want to know where they are. What's the latitude and longitude coordinate that correctly places it on a map, right? Whether it's a printed map or whether it's a, you know, an online map, you know, geospatial map, et cetera. And what you want to do is you want to align all this information so that you have a record for each structure that would want broadband that gives you all the information you need to accurately design, you know, and cost out a, a network project or a grant proposal, you know, that you're going to put in for money from the government for, right? Um, so, you know, you got building rooftops, you got satellite imagery. Um, there are a lot of parts that go in and there's like, you know, we talk about it in terms of property attributes. So, you know, like every piece of information is an attribute. You can have three to 500 attributes about a piece of property. Now, to do broadband and broadband planning, uh, you don't need three to 500 attributes, but you do need, if you can get it, is that point on that building that's a valid broadband serviceable building on that property, right, with the correct street address. That's what you really need, right? And, you know, unfortunately, in the past, in, in the United States and in most states, such a database does not exist, right? They haven't gone and built it themselves, right? Now, the feds are going to try and do it now for broadband, right? And for the first time. So we'll see how they do. Um, several states have done, done it themselves and have good data, but not most do not. And then you have companies like Lightbox, where we commercially provide this kind of data to insurance companies, global insurance companies, um, commercial real estate companies, uh, companies, online companies like Zillow and Google and Apple use our location data. Um, but that's been the focus. That was what Lightbox really was created for, which was to bring together all this disparate pieces of information into a whole and put together the platforms that automate the workflow in industries, right? To make it faster and more efficient and more accurate. And that's the that's the fundamental value proposition of a company like Lightbox, right? And so we we bring the data, uh, we bring the technology and the expertise and the experience. And so we can go to, you know, a government entity, a state government, whatever, and we'd say if you want to do broadband mapping, uh, then we can, you know, provide it to you like we've done in Montana, for example, most recently. So then is Lightbox going to have a, uh, a direct or an indirect hand in helping shape uh, the federal government strategy? Do you have any touch points there? Well, we, we, uh, we participated in an RFP to create a national fabric. Um, they selected another firm and um, we did a protest of that. And the GAO, I think yesterday rendered that they were okay with the FCC's decision to go with the other firm. Hmm. <laughs> Um, Alas. What, you know, what we're going to do next, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think I think the company is evaluating its options um, there. Um, we've, we've been in conversations with people at NTIA about our data. We also uh, are collecting and have data around um, digital equity issues, right? You know, um, people's income, income by household. Um, we, we can tell whether a location is actually actively using the internet or not. Um, you know, we've got access to Wi-Fi um, router data. 
Uh, so we can see, for example, at your house, whether your, you know, your Wi-Fi network is active or not now. Uh, so there's a whole big component of all this effort uh, at the federal level with funding and now states around digital equity and people actually having the ability to um, pay for broadband service, which is of concern to the Internet service providers making the infrastructure investment. Right. So you want to be able to target funds to eligible households to help them be able to afford to buy your service. And that's a benefit to everybody, including the ISPs who are putting their dollars in to build the infrastructure out. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. So, you know, I mean, we're we're a data company, right? And so our our we have a lot of people who focus on identifying and researching and vetting out other data sources that will help our clients make better decisions. Well, it sounds like, you know, regardless, even if y'all aren't the provider for the federal government, there are lots of um, opportunities out there for this data to be useful uh, and provide operational insights and insights to increase efficiency uh, for the larger telecom industry, um, you know, regardless of if it's tied to RDOF. So with that in mind, too, um, let's analyze the impact in Georgia, where you did um, you know, sort of the initial work for building out this platform. Since the GTA launched uh, this updated and um, revitalized approach to mapping, what has been the net effect of getting this project off the ground and mapping Georgia's broadband footprint? And how would you say that what we've learned from what works in Georgia and kind of the domino effects that come from this successful mapping, how does that reshape strategies at the national level? Well, I mean, you know, we when we first put it out and we published it, right, um, it was it was uh, the local impact was on internet service providers and local uh, state government policymakers in terms of having confidence to put money into a grant program. So after we did publish it um, and we did get a lot of positive feedback and we didn't get a lot of criticism for lack of accuracy from the internet service providers in the state of Georgia, um, there was a great deal of confidence that we got it right, right? And so what happened? So that meant that the legislature in the next session, they put money into a grant program, right? And, you know, the governor in this latest round with the ARPA money was comfortable and confident, right, in the team. He even, he even called the team's names out by name in his announcement of the program, which was pretty unheard of for a governor to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, a great deal of confidence to make this it's investor confidence. It's all about investor confidence, right? Whether you're an ISP putting in your 50 percent or the government putting in your 50 percent. So that that was the effect in Georgia. Then. A lot of states called us and asked us about to describe how we like you and I are having this conversation. A lot of state offices called us and we shared, you know, willingly shared with them, just like we did with the FCC back in 2018. Right. We shared the results. Right. Um, because we thought it was good for everybody to know you can do this and it, it's not that expensive to do it. And it doesn't really take that much time to do it. So it's, at the end of the day. If you've got, you know, 30 to 300 million dollars to invest and it costs you less than 2% of it to be able to do it precisely with accuracy, it's kind of a, isn't it a no brainer, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, I guess when you say the effect, I mean, you know, the, we sort of proved in, I mean, I've heard that the federal government looks at states as labs, 
right? And sometimes a state will look out and does something that works. <laughs> so win-win so, scenario, right? Well, I mean, it's not a bad model. Um, yeah, I mean, and so yeah, I mean, we were like the skunk works that actually pulled it off and proved it could work um, with the support of the industry, right? Um, so I, I, it didn't hurt, you know, it, it made it, it, it made it clear to the federal government and senators and house representatives and people on the committees that, Hey, look at Georgia. If they can do it, why can't we do it? Right. <laughs> Which like, Hey, this is embarrassing. Georgia did this. Right. It's like, yeah, maybe we should be, uh, you know, pushing the needle a little harder. Yeah. Good point. I mean, Hey, Anything to uh, put the fire under people's seat, as they say, right? Um, and this is kind of the, the perfect way to do so if you can prove the use case and prove it well to the point where you've got, um, you know, federal politicos basically feeling a little embarrassed by your success. Then, I mean, that's that means that it was a resounding success. And hopefully now the rest of the country can take advantage of the lessons learned in Georgia. So now let's just talk what the future holds and what the rest of the industry can do to get involved and help um, move that needle themselves if they want to. What do you think it's going to take then for RDOF, um, you know, both the folks behind the funding initiative um, and just, I guess, the larger federal government. I mean, what's it going to take for RDOF to develop an accurate mapping tool? And how can the larger industry work to have a seat at the table and push for solutions that will actually benefit everyone, will actually solve the needs of rural America? Walk us through your thoughts. Well, you know, the FCC is is laid out the data that they want from providers to produce a more accurate map. And if you look at providers across the United States, like we look at providers across the state, like Georgia or Montana, there's about 900 internet service providers, potentially that maybe 1200, that could participate and provide data to the federal government to make a more accurate map to more accurately deploy the funds, right? Now, internet service provider companies range everything from, in Georgia, there's a grandmother the company's been in her family for three generations. She has 500 customers, right? And then you have companies like Windstream and AT&T and Comcast and Charter, you know, that are national and they're ginormous and they have lots of resources, right? Well, the federal government is about to interact with a whole lot of internet service companies who do not have a bunch of staff expertise to give them what they're asking for. <clears throat> so they're going to find out real quick, right, that You've got to be prepared to do a lot of handholding. You've got to provide support, uh, technical expertise to the smaller, middle and smaller ones, right? I mean, because they're not getting paid to do this. And, and every one of those people in the internet companies, they have day jobs, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, we're at, it's, a big it's a big lift for a lot of them, right? And this is new for them, right? And you've got to give them time to adjust and you've got to be supportive. Right. I mean, we were we were we went out of our way. We bent over backwards in Georgia and we're doing it in Montana to be supportive of the companies. Right. And I, I've got one ISP that I'm, I'm trying to help them find engineering support so they can participate in the program. Right. Because 
The person there just doesn't have a clue about GIS and geospatial mapping and location data. I mean, come on. I mean, it, you know, I mean, let's recognize what we're causing to happen and let's allow for that, right? I mean, because that is going to determine the accuracy of the results. Yeah. I mean, do you think that with this validation of the tool, do you think, uh, you know, it's going to kind of reskill and elevate the education needed for decision makers behind initiatives like RDOF? Or do you think it's setting a new standard at, at that level, right? Of sort of the, what skills do the decision makers behind these projects need to make informed decisions? Is the needle moving on that as well? Well, when executives and management sees good data, right? They're pretty smart, right? That, that when they know it, when they see it, right? And they get it, and they get it quickly, right? And they latch onto it hard. That's what I've seen happen in states, right? Um, you go from a place of we've been dealing with garbage, we've been dealing with totally inaccurate data to wow, right? And um, so I would expect to see more investment in data, good data. Um, platforms, you know, I, I mean, you can think of mapping as like a business intelligence platform. I mean, you think about business intelligence. Well, what does that do for you? That's supposed to take a bunch of data that's so complicated that nobody knows what to do with it and render it into actionable intelligence, right? And that's part of what mapping is, right? Um, you've got dashboards and graphs, and now you have maps, right? And all what that really does is it helps you to quickly identify the best options to get to where I'm going from to where I want to go to, right? And solve my problems and make progress and, you know, et cetera, right? Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, I think that in this, you know, I mean, broadband is an issue for government. It really is still relatively from, from a, how much attention is being paid to it now versus what it was before COVID, right? I mean, remember, for almost all of America, this is a brand new big issue, right? COVID, COVID raised the awareness of the criticality of this issue exponentially beyond where it was before COVID, okay? So let's give ourselves a break here to, you know, I mean, if you think about highway transportation, funding and planning from the Federal Department of Transportation to the State Department of Transportation to local governments, Think about all the decades of time and how aligned and organized they are from the top to the bottom, right? And lots of people and lots of expertise and lots of funding. And that's how we've managed transportation infrastructure investment in America, right? Well, that has not been the case in broadband infrastructure. But now we're saying broadband digital highways is just as important as, you know, physical transportation highways. So we got to give our, you know, it's going to take some time. But to answer your question, I, I, you know, this is all this investment has got to cause an, an upgrade. you right. And more people being employed to focus on coordination, collaboration and good data. I, I think the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> that was a long winded way to answer. No, I, <laughs> hey, man, I'm I'm big on context. So uh, <laughs> I love it. And I see that, you know, if, to chime in my own opinion, I see that as a real positive. Um, if initiatives like these, if, um, you know, technology 
like what GTA put together and what Lightbox now is continuing to standardize in Montana, if that pushes uh, lawmakers, legislators, decision makers, folks that you know have their hands on the money and get to decide where it goes, um, if they know their way around the tools, not just at a surface level, but even being able to analyze what's going on under the hood, I think it just makes for more actionable decisions. It makes for a more informed ecosystem and it allows for conversation around, hey, this tool isn't quite what we need it to be. Can you please change it in XYZ way? It allows for that conversation to be a little more productive, a little bit more efficient and make it an open dialogue where the industry, the telco players really feel like the folks with, you know, the, uh, you know, with with the purse string, uh, know what they're talking about. I guess to put it bluntly. So that's right. That's right. Yep. And but we have to remember that it takes time to get from where we are and where we've been to that state, right? I mean, that's where there is a a, a risk reward of trying to move too fast, right? Or expecting too much too fast. If you don't recognize where you've been and where you really are and where you're trying to get to. Um, you know, if, if we start making decisions, um, irrespective of that, then we might be forcing things, you know, before they're really ready and before they're really the best quality to get to. So there's, there's a, a razor's edge there that, you know, and every state is at a different place in terms of maturity, right. To be able to do what you're saying. I mean, you know, government already runs on data and information that already runs, you know, every committee and every state legislature, they have their go-to people whenever they're analyzing a problem, you know, well, what data do we have? What does that data tell us? Right. I mean, help us make better decisions with better data. Right. So it's not like they don't see or recognize the value of good data, but we've got to give, we've got to put the resource money in and, you know, either through contract resources or staff people who know what they're doing and understand the topic. Right. I mean, if you were, if you were the department of water, right. And all of a sudden you get handed the responsibility for broadband tomorrow. Now you go be broadband experts, right? And we're going to give you $300 million. Go solve this problem. Well, you see the, you see the friction and the, <laughs> the fear that that can create. And that's happening. I mean, that is happening, right? I mean, it's, there's a lot of chaos right now in figuring out what's the best approach to manage all this investment. And so there's a learning curve all the way from the executives, all the way down to the staff. It's a lot to say grace over, right? Yes. Really yes, absolutely. And we want to solve all this tomorrow, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, if there was a solution that tomorrow means, hey, RDOF round two, we're going to deploy it. Uh, I think everyone would jump on board that ship. But you're right. We got to temper expectations and we got to map out strategies that are realistic but, you know, realism sometimes gets used as an excuse for not pushing the mantle. And so I think it's also good to just strike that balance, right? Realistic, but motivated to actually get the tools where they need to be so that art off round two can be deployed with more granularity, um, more efficacy, and get those bigger players involved, like we said. So, Bill, last question I got for you then, um, and I appreciate all your insights on the podcast so far. Uh, if you had to guess, what's that timeline look like for actually saying RDOF round two is good to go? I mean, can we make any assumptions? 
is there anything to, I don't know, like feel out the wind, right? Well, aren't our phase two supposed to wait for the uh, FCC new map, new data, more accurate? And, you know, if that if that were to come out first quarter of uh, 23, um, and if there's not a huge uproar of problems with the accuracy, um, then they could proceed to, you know, go ahead and start down the path of phase two uh, auction, right? Um, all the ISPs are going to be asked to participate in the creation of the national map, right? Um, so they're going to have staff, just like they've had staff in the past or somebody who filled out the 477 forms, they're now going to have to work at submitting what they're now asking for at a more granular level. Um so that's good for them, you know, at least they'll know what's going on. Um, so I, I, you know, I mean, how long does it take? I don't know how long it takes the FCC to prepare a round for an auction. I, is it three months? Is it six months? I don't know. Um, I would think best case 2023, sometime in 2023 to see phase two get kicked, get kicked off, right? Yeah, which means that there's a lot of time for folks to make their voice heard and uh, to continue to vouch for what they want to see out of these tools. Um, and also, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done and other funds to take advantage of too, uh, while we wait for our off round too. So it's an exciting time. Like you said, there's such an influx of money for building out telco infrastructure across the U S and I'm just really looking forward to seeing how, these changes come to fruition as Ardoff finally solves its census block servicing challenges. So till then, we'll go ahead and call it. So Bill, thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. It's it's really been a pleasure picking your brain and laying out a strategy for success and also understanding how your work in Georgia and Montana is setting a standard for the rest of the industry to uh you know, take some action on. So again, folks, we've been chatting with Bill Price. He's vice president of government solutions for Lightbox. Bill, if folks want to find out more about your work, they want to get in touch, maybe they want to, you know, pick your brain a little bit, uh, or they want to learn more about Lightbox, how can they do so? Uh, well, you can email me, wprice at lightboxre.com. Uh, that's my email address. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me through LinkedIn as well. Um, or they can they can contact you and you can give them my contact information. <laughs> Just pass them <laughs> off to me. <laughs> you're gonna I be you're gonna be my you're gonna be my coordinator, right? I know. Soon I'm just gonna be Bill Price's secretary. <laughs> in real time, folks. <laughs> well, you can go to the lightbox page and uh, fill out a contact, you know, contact me for them and I'll reach out. Cool. Hey man, multi-pronged approach, omni channel. I like it. <laughs> All right, team. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for joining us on the podcast. It really was a pleasure, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some updates in the future. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol broadband podcast. If you want to find out more about Bill's work and about Lightbox, make sure you go to their website, lightboxre.com. Again, that's Lightbox, and then the letter R and the letter E.com. Uh, you can also of course, find out more information about Amphenol and the work that we're doing in this space by heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com. Make sure you're subscribing to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well for future conversations on this topic and other timely trends impacting our industry. Until then, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Wavelengths.